Welcome to Feminist Coffee Hour. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, on Twitter at femcoffeepod, or you can send us an email to feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today our guest is Bahar Tajra Bakar, and she has recently gotten her PhD in the Faculty of Kinesthesiology and Physical Education at the University of Toronto. Welcome to Feminist Coffee Hour. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you for being with us. We wanted to talk to you about a post. It was up a couple of years ago, but it's a topic that's still interesting to us uh, that was on the society pages. It was called Accepting or Subverting Norms of Femininity, the Case of Female Bodybuilders. And right now, people who are interested in fitness are kind of trying to make do at home. Karen and I are both interested in weightlifting, something we've put on pause a little bit due to the uh, pandemic. But it's still an interesting topic with us and how it uh, interacts with gender. Can you tell us a little bit about your study about female norms and gender presentation in bodybuilding? Yeah, for sure. So this was my master's research, which at this point would have been the data was collected in, uh, I think, around 2012, 2014, during that time. And I looked at constructions of femininity within bodybuilding competitions, and specifically within the bikini category, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a smaller, uh, more recent category that's, and by smaller, I mean less muscular and a lot more quote unquote feminine, uh, or that was what the justification was for like from the federations of bodybuilding when they created this category. And some would say that it's hypersexualized. Um, the routine that they have to do on the stage, as well as the appearance, the way they're supposed to look, the amount of makeup and hair, and uh, it's like a fitness version of beauty pageants. I found it interesting. There's a bit of literature on the paradox of muscularity and femininity, and I just feel like it's such a fascinating topic because, um, I mean, I can get into it later, but constructions of femininity do happen to be somewhat contradictory or at least like socially they're perceived to be contradictory to muscularity and so the coexistence of the two in bodybuilding competitions is just fascinating. Yeah I think that's a really interesting topic and um, I think a couple of months ago when we were still allowed to go to gyms um, Karen sent me an Instagram photo of a woman lifting very heavy weights but was also wearing like hair her hair was done and she was wearing makeup and she had long nails And I thought that that was so interesting because for me, I mean, I don't really think about the gender of of that activity when I'm doing it. Like if you were to ask me to think about it, I would say, well, I guess I'm getting in touch with my masculine side. You know, I, I do think of it as a masculine activity if I had to answer. But the idea of the women in these competitions performing femininity while also displaying their muscles, that is an interesting paradox to study. And it, it kind of reminds me of that slogan that's been going around. I think there's a book written by this too, about strong is the new skinny, that like this should be a new ideal to like the way you, you're supposed to look for, for women. Right. I it's you said so much there. I feel like, uh, number one, I think, yeah, the, the juxtaposition of muscularity and femininity, that's the thing that I was talking about that I find it in general myself very fascinating. But one of the things that I talked about, I remember in my paper was the fact that because one of the main findings was this paradox and how it's quite naturalized and normalized within the bodybuilding subculture. 
in which these women exist, right? These women as in, well, a lot of female bodybuilders, not necessarily competitors, but also competitors and especially competitors because uh, bodybuilding federations mandate femininity criteria. And so I came to realize as I interviewed these women and as I analyzed my findings later that there's really two cultures which each consist of their own set of rules that these women have to exist within and have to negotiate the norms of. It's the broader society and the broader culture where hegemonic femininity, or in other words, the dominant conventional idea of femininity, long hair, relatively slim body, as you mentioned now, a more fit body, a toned body, but not a muscular body, not a visibly muscular body, that is valorized and uh, appreciated. And that's the norms of the broader culture. And then they also have to live within the subculture of bodybuilding in which muscle is valued and muscle for women at the same time. And so having to coexist in both these cultures where the norms are contradictory is going to produce contradictory results, or at least results that to us, um, if I may say so myself, like outsiders, I categorize myself as an outsider, insider and an outsider. It's like somewhere in between. It seems contradictory. It seems paradoxical that someone would have a visibly muscular body and then look super feminine at the same time and have you know do their makeup and nails and hair and put actual effort in what we call aesthetic labor into producing a feminine appearance yeah and what's also interesting for our listeners who don't have a background in this kind of thing was what i what i had sent you elizabeth was actually a uh a weightlifter uh so a power lifter rather than a bodybuilder and so I think it is also really useful to draw the distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. There was a second thing. Oh, you said that um, the norms have shifted. And that's something that's worth noting as well, because femininity, the idea of femininity, you know, which is a, I guess, a socially constructed standard for women's appearance and demeanor and even like values, that's something that's bound by historical context um, and it shifts it's fluid it shifts throughout time so what's perceived as exceptional femininity now hasn't always been the case I mean anything that's socially constructed that's the case with it right and gender especially in this case and so um, we know that in the 1980s it was skinniness it was lack of body fat that was valued or seen as the ideal body for women, for the female body. And I think now that's shifted more towards toned bodies, which means some level of muscularity. So it's not enough to just not have fat. Now one must have some level of muscularity as well, but there's still a glass ceiling. You can't go above that. If you go above that, then you're gender is going to be questioned, and also your sexuality, likely. And it's kind of interesting to me that in this blog post, it says, these messages reinforce the idea that strength and power and ultimately ability are a male domain in which a woman has little to no business or place. And I think that it's interesting because, um, in my experience anyway, a woman might not have a lot of physical muscle, but she might be very strong. 
I, I've seen women in the in the gym who who look to me very skinny and they can they can lift a lot. And um, just the idea that women aren't or shouldn't be or shouldn't try to be have the ability to lift a lot of weights is something that's in our culture. And it's something I just remember like my mom and my grandmother, they grew up with this idea that it was actually dangerous to lift weights. And if you did, it would make you infertile. And it was like this whole thing, like, and I, I was like, that's just not, that's just not true. And then, you know, when we get out of the, the bad science and these myths that it's actually, you know, physically damaging, you know, we know that it's, it's quite healthy to, to lift weights. It just reminded me of this Reddit has a forum called, am I the asshole? And one of the posts was kind of going viral about a month ago about can, yes, a woman please. whose boyfriend <laughs> was very angry with her because she could deadlift more than he could. And he, he never lifted weights at all. And she was, she deadlifted more than him. And he got mad at her for emasculating him in front of like one other friend. And I just thought like, it just, that's what your, your blog post made me think of like this idea of like, it's her fault. Like, how dare you be stronger than me? Of course, it's a woman's job to make sure that the masculine <laughs> idea remains protected. Sorry, I figured this is a feminist podcast, so I can say these. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yes, of course. Yeah. Again, that's something else I want to talk about. That this resistance, there's a real resistance to visible female muscularity. Uh, something that I wasn't excited. I knew there was some sort of like people don't like it. People, you see comments on. Um, um, bodybuilders uh, Instagrams and like posts and stuff you see those things you hear things from people but I didn't realize just how strong this resistance was until I started conducting the research and I would tell people about it and sometimes conversations would come up just debates and discussions and I was having some of them with like family members who would get and male family members who would get quite passionate about how wrong it is it speaks volumes, I think, to like where we stand and what muscle signifies. I think muscularity is the visible difference between men and women. And it's the visible thing that threatens the patriarchal gender order. It's very important for that visible difference to be maintained between men and women, because then you can maintain the naturalized gender order. You can still say that you know, you can validate those gender conventions and say women are not capable or women are this and that and men are the ones that are suitable for this X, Y, and Z. But once that becomes murky and unclear, then those ideas will collapse. And I think that's why it's so important to keep them. And all of this is so subconscious, I think, we don't recognize. It took me a while to, like, try to figure out why is there so much resistance Muscular women are not hurting anybody, <laughs> you know? They like their body that way. Why does one go out of their way to condemn something like that? Yeah, it reminds me of a, a post that I wrote a couple of years ago about, in some cases, women are punished more severely in self-defense against a man than in other cases. And it's like the idea that if you had the strength to fight back, you might be punished like more, more severely. And, and, and that's both in like physical fights or if, if a weapon was involved. And uh, that's kind of like getting a little bit out of it, but it, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, punishing the idea of like a woman having strength and like using it to defend herself is like, that's a threat to the, to the order. Like the thing that pops into my head is like way out of there, but it's the line from um, Portnoy's complaint where he's trying to assault a woman and she fights him off because she was in the Israeli army. And he just says, what a thing to teach a girl. And I was just like, whoa, like, and he said, it's like right there in the book, like the character is mad that someone taught a woman to defend herself. Like, how dare you? Like it's, you know, subverting things. So 
Yeah, I think there is no winning in that regard because to me, the reason why I personally became, and I'm not very muscular, you can tell, but I did have more muscle before the pandemic. I will say I've lost some too, <laughs> not being able to weight lift, but I've never been like visibly muscular, but I've always been drawn to the idea of it. And I've always had some sort of admiration uh, for women that have that kind of muscle, just because I do see it as a rebellious act. Like it's, it is going against the norm of what femininity is supposed to look like and being a woman is supposed to look like and that's where also I think where the resistance comes from from the same place that my admiration comes from the resistance comes from because it signifies again something but then my point was that there is no winning if you are not muscular and not say not one of those women that's not muscular but strong if you are not muscular not very strong then you're seen as fragile incapable submissive etc and then if you are and you and it takes a lot of work especially for women for anyone but especially for women to put on muscle and finally get to that point that you have visible muscularity there's also no winning because now you're too strong and now it's not attractive and of course and I'm saying this in a sarcastic tone, the whole purpose of a woman's existence is to be attractive, to be heterosexually attractive. Oh yeah, no, we talk about that a lot on, on this show about the double bind, like you can't win either way, it doesn't work. I was, I was actually joking with my dad the other day, we had like a, a social distance, vis- distance visit and he asked me to go get the, the lawn umbrella for the, the furniture table and it was really heavy. And I just thought like, yeah, this is what I get for having an enlightened dad that he asked me to lift heavy things, but it's probably better than the, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, it is for sure. Uh, so a lot of people that, that um, have that resistance to visible muscularity on women, their argument, I think majority of the time is that, oh yeah, well they're free to do that, but it's, they have to understand it's not attractive. And of course, by that, they mean it's not heterosexually attractive to a heterosexual man. And that's also so telling, right? Because whoever said that your sole purpose in wanting a particular type of body is supposed to be uh, to look a certain way to men, but that's, that's already assumed. That's like a presumption that's already ingrained in all of society, including men and women. We are already assumed to be heterosexual objects there to be looked upon and to be enjoyed. So someone that goes against that or says, I don't care about that, there's something wrong with you for not caring or going against that. You must not understand what's heterosexually attractive. It just doesn't make sense any other way. And not not to be like, what about the men? But just the whole idea of what is the stereotypically heterosexually attractive woman is very narrow. And we know that women who look all different kinds of ways in real life are partnered with men. And it's kind of like a myth. Yeah. And of course, this never comes from male bodybuilders because that's generally what they are attracted to. I mean, they appreciate, again, this is, this is just from my, my talks also from, because I did, uh, while I was conducting the research, I did have a group of friends that were into this stuff. And I can't obviously speak to the norms of the entire, but you get a sense of like what the norm is. And yeah, I've never heard male bodybuilders complain about that. It, It is a norm within that subculture that muscularity is actually valued for women and for men. But it's generally coming from people outside of that, that feel that, you know, it could even be the guy that you were talking to, uh, talking about that um, couldn't deadlift himself and 
So now he's angry that his girlfriend can actually deadlift more than him. That speaks to something else called fragile masculinity. I'm curious to talk a little bit about the differences between women's bodies and men's bodies. Just because you have a, a PhD, I'm curious, and but I'm not sure if you actually have done the specific research to speak to this about um, differences in bodies that have a lot of testosterone versus bodies that have less testosterone, the relationship between hormones and body strength. Because I know from my research, which is more around trans and gender nonconforming folks, part of taking hormones means different distributions of muscularity and body fat. And so I'm, I'm just really curious about the assumptions that go along with, well, women should lift weights like this, or women will struggle more with that and things around that. Oh, and also I, I do want to say when I say women here, I mean cisgender women. Um, yeah, a disclaimer, I didn't mention this. I'm not sure if you guys know, but my PhD was in a very different field. So that's why I said I'm um, kind of rusty in this area. But I think I can respond to that. I would first differentiate between strength and muscle because especially for bodybuilders, having visible muscles and big muscles or striated or being very lean and so you can see the muscles fully, that is not necessarily correlated to being strong. Um, in fact, you know, when there's competition time and they bodybuilders go through very strict diets, as you may or may not know, extremely strict diets, especially when it's competition time and you just really lower your caloric intake and very particular foods in the last few months and then few days, you're extremely weak at that point. So, but look amazing on the surface. It looks like you're super fit, but yeah, you're not necessarily strong. So, and then it also goes back to your point that um, there are some women that are small, but you're super strong. If you like arm wrestle them, (laughs) you'll know just how strong they are. So there's that. But then as far as hormones are concerned, I actually, I I wouldn't, it would be outside of my scope to um, comment on that. I just know that I take issue with, and I, not just me, I, I think it's problematic for those discourses around how women should train and what is good and what's bad. It's just, I don't think there's any scientific basis. I mean, my, um, my field was, in undergrad kinesiology. So we did study of like what is good. In general, when we're talking about fitness and we're talking about exercise and health through fitness, it's, we talk about the human body. It's not, this is good for women. This is, you might say, for example, women tend to have osteoporosis in their hips in later years. So it's a good idea to actually I remember my exercise physiology professor saying that it's it's more important for women to lift heavy heavy weights because of that because they're more prone to osteoporosis and one way to combat that is through lifting heavy weights. So if anything, it's in that direction. Uh, it's important to do hip exercises. You could target it that way to say like what's potentially better for women, but like how to move or like things of that nature. Yeah, I don't see any validity to those. This is a little off topic, but yeah, the the new rules of lifting books, which I like, even though they put out a specific new rules of lifting for women book. If you read it, he's like, I'm writing this book because women have asked me for a book, but basically it's the same advice I give men. And then in every book after that, he has pictures of models doing the exercises both 
both men and women. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I think that is generally the case too. If you just follow like bodybuilding as just for fun and you follow fitness models or whatever, as I do, and I did, especially for my research, you'll see it is all the same thing. And if anything, you could say that certain exercises, certain ways of exercising, so how many repetitions, how many sets, etc., yield results that align with ideals of femininity more. And ideals of femininity are socially constructed. So if you want to align yourself with that ideal, then you can engage in certain exercises uh, that will be either fat burning, if that's what you're trying to accomplish, or will not really build muscle. But even then, there's this misunderstanding, this fear that a lot of women have that I don't want to get muscular because muscle is not feminine and you will not get muscular because I've been trying to get muscular my entire life and I work out every day and it, it just will not happen. So like, even if you wanted to, you think it's so easy to get it and some people really want to get it and they can. It's not that easy. This fear makes no sense. But still in that regard, you could say that certain specific exercises would make more sense for women that want that specific body type not this doesn't apply to all women this definitely doesn't apply to women that actually want to gain muscle can you talk more about anything that you may have found in your research around being muscular and gender that was unexpected i think the one thing that was actually unexpected for me because as i said i went into this research and even prior to that i became interested in bodybuilding women's bodybuilding in particular, because of the potential that I saw in female muscularity, the potential for resistance and the potential for defiance of the gender order of hegemonic femininity and the potential for empowerment. I sort of assumed subconsciously that most female bodybuilders that I was going to encounter were going to have the same attitude and they were going to say the same things. And my research was specifically about the competitions and how uh, competition criteria enforce hegemonic femininity. Uh, I don't have the quote here right now, but I know that there's a specific quote, for example, on the Federation's website, as they talk about criteria for femininity, they say one of the things that the competitors are uh, judged on is their level of muscularity and muscle tone the rest that's like one component and there's like six other components and they include hair and makeup they include the way you walk to and from the judges on stage the tone of your skin your skin tone um, if it's even how you smile i went to a workshop as well um, i went to a six-hour workshop that prepared you prepared the competitors for their competition day so we talked about everything it was hosted by one of the more well-known former competitors, now coaches in Toronto. And so she, she was a judge as well herself, and she was speaking from experience. This is what you do. I remember in that workshop, she specifically said, imagine in your mind that you're flirting with the judges. That's how you want to do it. And so that's where my, the name of my paper came from flirting with the judges and that's fascinating isn't it to uh, that's just really telling to like what they're actually looking for in their female competitors when I became familiar and this was like during my research but I'd known about this before I entered the actual data collection stage and I was like yeah this is ridiculous I was expecting 
the competitors to be feeling some form of outrage about it too. Like it's ridiculous. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it because I'm just so passionate about bodybuilding and, and whatever. And that's not what I encountered. They were pretty compliant and even justifying why it was necessary and how much they, they loved it. Again, I have the quotes in the article, but someone was like, you know, that's the fun day that I love that day, the competition day. That's when I get to do my hair and makeup and get all dolled up. And that's what I look forward to. It's like the big payoff. And I get that. Like part of me gets that, but I now see it through that lens of existing in two cultures at the same time. We do construct this whole idea of getting dolled up and putting on your makeup and, and doing that walk as something that's, uh, that's supposed to be fun for women, something that's, that they're supposed to derive enjoyment from. And we're socialized that way. And so, yeah, we do come to like see it that way as well. Some people actually saw it as empowering. You know, they say that I feel empowered when I'm comfortable with my body and with my sexuality, even because it is very sexual, what the routine that they have to do on stage. And I, um, again, I'm sympathetic to that side of it because we're socialized that way. We don't exist in a vacuum. As women, we are sort of, we, we continuously interact with that discourse of empowerment through sexuality and through being sexy and feeling comfortable in your skin. And so we buy into it and we reproduce it. And I get that, but it, it was still something that I felt like the, at least the women, the specific population that enters bodybuilding competitions and finds enjoyment in bodybuilding and in building muscle, they should see some problem with that, right? They should be somewhat outraged by that like system and that set of norms and wasn't the case. So I think that was the biggest um, surprise in the project. So yeah, you you mentioned like the, the two cultures kind of perspective, even though it does kind of seem as though these women had kind of integrated both of those cultures into their identity, that they love the sexualization aspect and they love the muscularity aspect. And I, part of me wonders, was this like a conscious conversation that these women were having with themselves? Uh, or was it just like, oh, yeah, I love both? <laughs> like, or was it like, you know, I feel pressure because I'm so muscular that like putting on the makeup helps me feel my feminine side more or doing these kind of traditionally feminine movements makes me feel more feminine uh, or, or some kind of engagement with the duality there? Uh, a couple of things I want to say to that. One is that this is where my rustiness is going to affect my response because I don't quite remember like the names of the participants or who said what. And then second thing is that it's also when you realize the, your limitations or shortcomings as a master's student when you're uh, conducting research, I feel like if I'd been a little bit more... Very relatable <laughs> for me right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if I was a little bit more mature and well-read in, in that area, I would have picked up on that paradox more and I would have questioned them more about it and seen how they interact with that paradox. Like once they say, but I do still feel like I did. Whatever they were saying to me about that stuff was in response to me pointing out what I was seeing, which was, don't you feel that this is, and I can't be super sure about how I worded this, but it was about the competition norms and that it is, how do you feel about it? Like, don't you think that the femininity criteria are very restricted? And I remember that for the most part, 
that was my overall feeling for the most part. Most of them did not have a problem with it. Some of them really liked it. Uh, one of them specifically seemed to be getting annoyed at me for pointing out that observation and saying that, well, I don't understand. Oh, she specifically said, if someone doesn't like it, they, they don't have to compete. They don't have to be part of the competitions. The judges' jobs are hard as it is. We don't need to make it harder for them, right? So it was like, do not question this. It's fine. And sympathy for the judges, on the other hand, that like, you know, they have to pick out who's more feminine. Anyways, and then there was one person who I think I had 10 participants. So there was one woman who was like, yeah, I found it extremely degrading. Um, it was my first competition. I'm never going to compete again, specifically because of that. I never thought, I thought a bodybuilding competition was going to be about fitness, was going to be about me getting in shape and feeling proud of that. And it wasn't about that. And I, I found it degrading. She did specifically say that sentence and that she wasn't going to participate again because of it. Yeah, she seems like better suited to powerlifting than, <laughs> than bodybuilding. Right. Maybe it's about, well, maybe not even though, because that's even so much about like, what's the max? What's the max, you know, uh, rather than like general holistic wellness and strength. <laughs> and, you know, I also wonder, because again, there's like different competition categories and these categories are based on level of muscularity and they exist in male and female competitions. But females, of course, have like, it's separate. It's, it's not the same criteria. It's not the same uh, expectations. But bikini is the smallest one, and it is considered uh, the most sexualized. And then there's figure. Then there's physique, which was very recently introduced after bikini. And I'll explain in a second why. And then there's bodybuilding, which is the biggest and the most muscular and the leanest in terms of body fat. Physique was introduced, uh, I believe, 2012, I want to say. I could be wrong about that. Um, and it was introduced, and generally, it's understood that the reason for its introduction was to get rid of bodybuilding as a category altogether, because the bodybuilding federations are pushing for smaller female bodies, less muscular, because they find that it's not marketable. And all of this is justified all these pushes and these movements and criteria for femininity are um, justified in terms of making the sport more marketable and inspiring people to actually get involved in bodybuilding but you can see also there's their money at stake as well but so they're trying to get rid of bodybuilding as a whole category now my my research was on women's bikini i do wonder if I were to talk to bodybuilders that this would be a very different type of interview. I still have that like conviction within myself that women that engage in bodybuilding and want to have visible muscles, they must like get some form of empowerment by breaking the rules through breaking the rules. Or being really attractive to lesbians like, uh, or gender non-conforming people in general uh because like a muscular woman for uh Wolowa women who love women like is very attractive i agree <laughs> that's really interesting about the competitions and stuff like karen's like blushing a little bit but 
Um, no, I have two acquaintances that have participated in like amateur figure things. And I, I knew there were different levels, but I didn't know that like they're sexualized in different ways. And that was interesting to me because when I saw the pictures, like these people were unrecognizable, but it was mainly because the fake tan, you know, made them look like a completely different ethnicity than they were. And then like, they have to get a little bit dehydrated, right? To, um, to make, to make your muscles stand out. So, you know, and, and I think both of them didn't continue just because of the, the time commitment, you know, involved, but the idea of phasing out the top category is strange to me. I have the two quotes that I wanted to read to you. This is from the bodybuilding websites, a little bit dated, so it might be, it might've changed, but the first one is from IFBB, which is the International Federation of Bodybuilding. It's sort of considered the, um, Olympics or Olympia, which is conducted by IFBB, is the Olympics of bodybuilding. So IFBB is the biggest organization. And for their bodybuilding category, not bikini, but the least feminine and, and the most muscular, they have the following rules. It says, first and foremost, the judge must bear in mind that this is a woman's bodybuilding competition and that the goal is to find an ideal female female physique. Therefore, the most important aspect is shape, a muscular yet feminine shape. Muscular development must not be carried to such an excess that it resembles the massive musculature of the male physique. Competitors shall also be assessed on whether or not they carry themselves in a graceful manner while walking to and from their position on stage. Now that's IFBB and that's for their bodybuilding. And for the bikini category, uh, IFBB says the following. The assessment should take into consideration the hair and facial beauty, the overall body development and shape, the condition of the skin and the skin tone, and the athlete's ability to present herself with confidence, poise, and grace. And <laughs> there's nothing said about muscle, actually, so I was wrong. There is nothing said about muscle. It's all about <laughs> physical beauty and facial beauty. And I think we can also unpack the last sentence, which is the athlete's ability to present herself with confidence, poise, and grace. Just unpacking those last three adjectives, how interesting it is that presenting yourself in a sexualized way gets packaged as confidence. And I think that's something that I saw in my participants as well, how they were talking about feeling empowered by doing that routine. And it is, again, this discourse of like sexualization being equated with confidence and comfort with your own body, etc. There's also this element that's been coming up a lot, but I, I don't think we've spoken to directly, which is the, the racialized element of all of this, you know, the changing your ethnicity with a spray tan for some people or for others that might just be their skin color. But you, you mentioned skin tone, you mentioned beauty, facial beauty, uh, muscularity, confidence, sexuality, sexual confidence. I mean, these are all extremely racialized, particularly in uh, the U.S. or I suppose also Canada. <laughs> um, I, I think... I astonishingly forgot or missed the whole race dimension while I was doing this research. Again, one of those master's rookie mistakes. And I was questioned about it in my master's defense. And that was the first time I had to contemplate and be like, oh, next time I do this research, I'm going to take that into consideration. But uh, there is definitely a very important race, racial dimension to this whole thing, not to take into account the fact that 
racialized bodies and specifically black bodies have historically been portrayed as animalistic. There's tons of research on that. And just within, again, to stay within this paragraph, to talk about skin tone and not really offer any details of what really you mean by skin tone and what is considered the ideal skin tone. That's a, that's a really contentious statement. And to leave that up to the judge to decide what the ideal skin tone is going to be. There's just so much problematic <laughs> in that quote. Yeah, we can, I think we can spend hours unpacking it. They also um, tell black athletes that they also should tan to make sure that the skin is even and so on. But I really don't get it. I, I can appreciate somewhat that tanned skin. I mean, for myself, say when my skin is more tanned, the muscle is a bit more visible. But I don't know. That's a really tricky thing. And there's how do you qualify that? How do you quantify it? Um, how do you assign value to it? And just in your experience, even if you, you didn't kind of quantify this, what, would you say that the bikini world is mostly uh, like white judges or are there diverse judges? I, and during the course of this research, I, so I went to a workshop and the judge was actually, she's, um, she seemed half white, half black, I think. It's hard to tell for me, but there's an event that happens every year, a bodybuilding event downtown Toronto. So I went to that and there's competitions, a few competitions that happen. Uh, It's a weekend every day. Um, They happen for men and women. So I caught one of the competitions and I specifically went to see the judges to see like who's behind all this. For that particular competition, it was all men. Their races, I can't remember. But I remember asking my participants about the judges and in their experience, what was it like? Was it mainly men? Um, And they said that, no, it's generally, and I have to take their word for it, it's generally um, a mixture of men and women. But racially, I wouldn't know. I'm sorry. I was really kind of struck by how few of these guidelines have any kind of more objective kind of things. So they're all just like, it's very visually based. And I'm just so curious how objectivity works with that, how people dispute judge rulings or ratings, or if there are feelings about that that you captured in your interviews. Uh, Yeah, there's no concrete way of uh, saying what what does skin tone mean? Uh, What does facial beauty mean? There's no way of concretizing and there hasn't been in their criteria. And I did notice that too. And I asked in the workshop, I had other people also mention that this is really subjective and that's really what it is. Like you can look for objectivity in concrete examples of what those criteria mean, but it's not there. They literally leave it up to the judges to decide what they feel is a feminine walk. Um, I mean, it's... the whole concept in and of itself is just kind of funny to try to quantify what femininity means. Um, if you if you insist to include femininity as a criterion, then it just all becomes funny after that point because then who gets to decide what is femininity? If you say it's long hair, well, how long does it have to be? What shape does it have to have? You know, but with muscularity, you can somewhat. I mean, there are sports where it 
involves an element of grace or softness, like gymnastics or other sports. But there's ways of quantifying. As far as I know, there's ways of quantifying. There are very specific instructions for judges as to how to, um, how to actually evaluate. That doesn't exist for bodybuilding. One of the questions, again, that I was asked before was, is it a sport? Can we even call it a sport? And there's that debate going on, which I think relates to this, not having specific concrete criteria. You can't really define it as a sport, among other things that make it questionable as a sport. But yeah, uh, and I can't really recall how the competitors felt about that. I think they didn't like that, that it was so um, arbitrary, the criteria. But my whole point is that it's not there. It's up to the individual judge. And that's the feeling that I got as well from the workshop that I went to. And that person was trying to indicate to us from what I've seen and from my experience, this is what they like and this is how you want to do it. And, and so that's where you get the information from. It's actually not on the website. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. If people want to find out more about your research and what you're doing now, where can they go? My LinkedIn, it's just Bahar Tadro. So my first name and part of my last name, T-A-J-R-O. And if they want to learn more about this topic, um, I do have an article on it, uh, as well as blogs, which I think is what you accessed. But the article is called Flirting with the Judges. That's the title. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. If you like our podcast, please support us at our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash feminist coffee hour, or, you know, do a Google for Patreon and feminist coffee hour. Our patrons get early releases of episodes, plus other cool perks at higher levels. If you can't support us financially, you can always give us a five-star rating on iTunes and write us a review as it helps the algorithm know we're there and that people like us, like you. Our intro and outro music is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth, and you can find her music on SoundCloud.